If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have a fantastic guest on the line today. So today is my first video podcast interview. And since my host insisted we do video, I got caught with my pants down. I'm actually in my, my PJs. <laughs> well, that's how we rock and roll. We get it done. <laughs> so I'm pleased to have Whitney nicely on the show today. Whitney is known as the queen of real estate investing in East Tennessee. She started out from her parents' um, couch where she was working her corporate job earning 24K a year. She quit her job, went over to the entrepreneurial side of things, started flipping couches, transitioned to flipping uh, dump trucks, that's uh, trash trucks. And then from there, she now started investing in real estate. And as of today, at least as far as I know, Whitney can correct me later, she has about 17 residential houses, 19 apartment units, and seven chunks of vacant land across Eastern Tennessee. She's a coach, a consultant, mentor, and a teacher to several students around the country that are interested in following along the path of Whitney to taking control of their own destinies by investment and real estate. So I'm pleased to have her on the show today to tell us a little bit about herself, her background, her mindset, and of course, how she runs her business and how she's become, you know, a millionaire and a successful real estate investor, so to speak. So with that said, Whitney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. And I went from 25000 a year to 25000 a month. Oh, my and goodness. Oh, my goodness. That Isn't whole that shift was amazing. Did not happen overnight. Yes. I got a couple gray hairs and a couple wrinkles from it, but it was totally. <laughs> so you went from twenty four k a year to 24000 a month. Now, Whitney, I know you st- you're a real estate investor, but let's. Let's, let's talk about background. Where are you coming from? Are you a trust fund baby? Were you sitting somewhere in the south of France saying, oh, you know what? Yeah, let me just do the corporate nine-to-five job and then I'll transition into my millionaire family business. What's your backstory? Well, I am the fourth generation entrepreneur of my family. We started a dump truck company in 1939 mm. and our bucks have come from trucks since the 30s. Wow. Um, my whole family works for the company and when you work for the family business, at least in my family business, you're expected to work from sun up to sundown mm-hmm. eight days a week, yeah. 372 days a year and there's no time for vacation, there's no time for life, there's no time for anything. You are dedicated to the family business mm-hmm. and then eventually one day when you wake up and you're 80 yeah. and you have the privilege of saying you own this business. Oh, wow. But it is most definitely like you hand your whole life over to the family business. So Mm. um, technically, I guess I am a trust fund baby, but (laughs) not in the south of France sipping, you know, drinks, margaritas or whatever on the beach, I guess, in Mexico. Um, I I come from a very hard working Working. 
very yeah. prideful family yeah. business. Nice, nice. Good to hear that. And a lot of people have the same background where either their parents or their grandparents have started something, but just because they have something in the family doesn't mean you're just going to have everything handed off to you and life is going to be easy. Because, I mean, we've all heard of um, the statistics where it says um, pe- wealthy families sometimes don't transition the wealth off to a couple of generations down because they didn't instill that trust and that work ethic in the people that were coming further along the line. But you didn't have that problem because you were made to earn basically everything you keep, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I worked for the family company for seven years after I graduated college. Mm. In fact, I was uh, working for the family company and we've got four companies out of the same Mm -hmm. office and I had a job, I had a role, I had a position at all four companies. And then I started real estate investing. I started flipping houses. So I had five jobs at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, my boyfriend at the time lived in Atlanta. It was three our distance relationship was working five jobs. I had friends, I had church, I had all the things going on and people, you know, I get kind of annoyed at people sometimes because they're like, well, I've already got a job. I can't Mm -hmm. have another one. I'm like, I had four jobs when I started my fifth side hustle. Hustle. I worked my tail off. So I know what it's like to have something you have to do all day and then work on another job all night Mm -hmm. and actually get to the point where the scales start tipping more that you're making more in your nighttime mm-hmm. adventure, not to be like, have that <laughs> bad connotation, but yeah. you know, your side hustle becomes more profitable than your regular jobs. Job. Yeah. But I did that for two years Yeah. until I was like, you know what? One of these has got to go and it's going to be the nine to five. Yeah. And it's funny how, you know what? I think what I see in your story, it's a matter of choice because in as much as you had four jobs and you still took on a fifth one to side hustle into real estate, you could have just as easily been sitting at home watching Netflix or going to watch the game or, you know, doing all the random stuff that a lot of people fill their time with instead of thinking about how they're going to create their own lives and destinies and take charge of what's um, is supposed to be theirs and not just take the script handed to them from society. Uh, one of the things that made me really want to get into real estate investing is I did have this boyfriend in Atlanta and it was three mm-hmm. hours away. And on Fridays, especially because my mom owned the company, mm-hmm. I expected to leave at noon on Fridays. I mean, I had 40 hours in by Wednesday. Why did mm-hmm. I need to stay until Friday afternoon? Yeah. And my mom, though, is from the old school where you need to be at your desk from nine to five mm-hmm. and still on call in case something happens. Yeah. And I was mad. Because she expected me to work on Friday afternoons and I wanted to go on and start my weekend and, you know, go ahead and have some fun and, mm-hmm. you know, take off and enjoy life instead of be, being chained to my desk. Yeah. And so that's why I started working weekends on my real estate business mm-hmm. so that in two years now he's my husband now mm-hmm. and now he has a job in Tampa and I get to come and be a hotel housewife. Mm-hmm. And not have to worry about a nine to five desk job because I worked my tail off for two mm-hmm. years so that I could live the rest of my, you know, 50 or 60 years here on earth in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And most women, I think, are stuck thinking that they have to have this job. They have to be chained down to something. They have mm-hmm. to be, you know, solid. And it's not true. You're not a tree. If mm-hmm. something isn't working for you, get up and move. Mm-hmm. Change it. 
But a lot of times the hardest part of doing that is in your head. Yeah. So how did you break that chain in your head? Because I, you're from an entrepreneurial family. You're working a family business. Obviously, they're expecting either you or your siblings will, you know, take over someday. But you still wanted to revolt and you still wanted to make something for yourself. So where did that leap come from? I know you attended um, Ron Legrand's trainings and whatnot, but before you got to Ron Legrand, how, how did you make that shift? It was really when I was sitting there at my desk mad. Mm. And I thought, there's got to be a better way that I can make money mm. and not have to be here all the time. Mm-hmm. And my mom is an amazing, wonderful woman. And I'm not like, you know, down in her or anything at all. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, I'm also a millennial. Yeah. And millennials are known for trying to take a shortcut yeah. and not have to <laughs> you know, serve our time for 50 or 60 years in this job until yeah. maybe one day it'll be passed on to us. No, yeah. I wanted my slice of the pie now. Yeah. I wanted to get it done now. I got energy now. I've got time now. I don't have all these other responsibilities right now. Yeah. I need to get my money in order now. Yeah. Not in 50 or 60 years. Mm. I want to actually retire. I want to be the first person in my family who didn't work until the day they died. I want to retire. Mm -hmm. And I want to do it when I turn 35, not Mm. 65. Mm. So that was was my motivation. And I, I was watching my mom one day and she was... My mom is a real estate investor. She mm-hmm. taught me how to be an investor. And mm-hmm. um, from you know the time I was little, we were going to auctions on Saturdays. My mom would take me through subdivisions as they were building houses, and she would show me the plumbing and the wiring and you know everything behind the wall mm-hmm. that most women don't see or understand how it works. My mom mm-hmm. taught me that when I was a kid. Mm. And I was watching my mom one day. I was at the office, and she was collecting the rent checks and making a big old deposit into the bank. And I was like, Mom how do I get rent checks? Like, how do I get money in the mailbox every single month? And she was like, Uh we got to buy something first. Uh And so she didn't like say, Oh, let's sit down and talk about cash flow and let's talk about formulas and let's talk about real estate. Uh She basically just said, go figure it out. Yeah. Because that's how she figured it out. She'd collected all of her money, bought a house and rented it out. And then she collected her money, bought a house and rented it out. And she did that for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Like she started investing before I was born. Yeah. And that's the only way she or something you said? I'm sorry. She started investing in like 78 or something. You said 78. She started yeah. investing and that's all she knew how to do. That's all mm-hmm. anybody had taught her how to do. But I started saying, you know, well, how do you decide this is a good property? How do you do this? How do you do that? And she didn't have any answers. Mm-hmm. So that's when I found Ron the grand and I started following his guidance and um, some of his practices. And then I started finding other mentors and I started doing these deals and trying to figure things out because another thing I had a problem with is, my mom could give me the encouragement to go and do it, but she didn't like have these skills to pass mm-hmm. on to me. Mm-hmm. So I went and I found all these men. I was learning real estate from all these men. And when I would go out and do what they told me to do, it wouldn't work. Mm. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? And so I, I sat down one night and I thought about it. And I thought about everything that they told me to do. And I thought about, okay, how can I get to the same result, but go about it in my style? Okay and not theirs. Mm. And that's when the sellers started coming to me. That's when I started getting contracts signed left and right. That's when I had way more opportunity than I could ever imagine. Mm. And what I realized is I was learning from men and then I was trying to act like a man 
Mm. And I'm not a man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am a young, feisty woman. Yeah. And so when I translated what they taught me into woman speak, that's when it started working. Mm. Everything started working. And I was getting to the same goal that they wanted me to get to, mm -hmm. but I was doing it in my style. And so yeah. that's what I teach women how to do now is not have to go back and translate and transcribe what mm -hmm. the men want you to do. I've already done that. Yeah. And now I just speak the same language as all these women that I'm helping. And then they can go out and just get the deals done and not have the lag time that mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. Well, that is, that is fantastic because basically you took a recipe and you made it your own. And now it's Whitney's cake and you just keep selling the cake and getting the results. I love that. I love Absolutely. that. I mean, it's all real estate investing, yeah. but the path that we take to get there is totally different. Exactly. And now I'm starting to teach women how to buy apartments also. So not nice. just houses, not just laying, apartments. Wow. And okay, so before we get to apartments, um, your niche in real estate is um, lease options, correct? So let's talk a little bit about lease options because... I know um, it's, a, it's a specialty. It's kind of like um, you're not putting the money up front. It's basically seller financing with uh, an extended duration where you get to pay the term. So, so talk a little bit about that and then let's um, transition over into buying houses and then buying apartments because I know those two skill sets are completely different ways of doing um, real estate. So a lease option is a really fancy rental agreement mm. with the opportunity to actually buy the house in the future. Uh -huh. Seller financing or owner financing is when the house is free and clear. There's not a mortgage on it and the seller is becoming the bank and financing you the property. Okay. Um, so they're, they're different. Um, there's also a third option out there called subject to, okay. which is a combination. So the title comes into your name, but the mortgage stays in the seller's name. Okay. And that one's kind of weird and that one can get you in some hot water really quickly. So I don't really do that one. Mm -hmm. I focus on lease options, which is just a really fancy rental agreement. And okay. nobody has any trouble saying, Hey, I'm going to rent my house. Nobody thinks that's weird. Mm -hmm. So I do the lease options because it's not weird Yeah. or owner financing people inherit houses that they don't want all the time. And so I just say, well, I'm just going to start sending you a check every month mm. and they love it. It's passive income for them. They don't have to do squat to it. And I take care of all the headaches. Okay. So now I think that's another point that you've made that a lot of people find challenges with is that real estate investing comes with a lot of headaches. So now you've created your own system where you're getting deal flow. People are coming to you to say, hey, Whitney, you know, buy my house, do this, do that. But you also get that headache of, okay, plumbing breaks, water's not working, there's some locusts, sorry, not locusts, termites or something. There's something wrong with the property and then you have to be called in to fix it. So how long do you spend working on these properties and then how do you manage them so that you can actually scale up your time? Because you're also coaching clients, you're teaching people one-on-one, -on -one, you're going to speak, consult, but you still have to keep doing the business that you do that pays your bills, so to speak. So how do you manage all this um, conflicting pulls to your time? So the first thing I do is I find houses that don't need any work. They're okay. not run down and ragged and need to be bulldozed. These are nice houses in nice neighborhoods. And for whatever reason, life happened to the sellers and they just don't want it anymore. Okay. And um, there's usually nothing wrong with these houses. They don't need any work. Not the mm. ones that I'm going after now. You know, I tried doing the ones where they needed to be flipped and this and that and the other. But the, you know, what I found was 
if you spent 10 or 15 or $20,000 flipping a house mm -hmm. and then you made 10 or 15 or $20,000, you didn't actually make any money. Mm. But if you could find a house that didn't need any money and you could make 10 or 15 or $20,000, mm -hmm. you actually made 10, 15 and $20,000. Yeah. So I started going with uh, the less I do, the more I make, yeah. which is a Ron LeGrand quote, but yeah. it's totally true. If I can find houses that don't need any work and I can mm -hmm. still make 10 or $20,000, I'm going to do that all yeah. day long and yeah. leave the junkie houses to everybody else. Cause that's mm. what they think they have to do. It's yeah. not true. Wow. So, go, okay. And then so, okay, I'll, go I'll say another thing too on that. If I do get a house that needs some work, mm -hmm. I let the tenant buyers do the work. Oh. What do you mean because by that? They can, they can get the house at a really good deal, a really good discount and they can fix it over the next year or two. I mean, these houses okay. that I buy are livable. They okay. just need a new floor in the kitchen or okay. they just need Cosmetic you know, paint or carpet or, you know, whatever. And the people that move into these houses have friends that can, you know, volunteer their labor mm. and they just have to buy material. Okay. So it's cheaper for everybody all the way around for them to fix up their property. It also gives them more pride in the property and they're more likely to buy it. Okay. So with every transaction you make, you're already looking at the exit from the beginning. So you're getting the property from somebody else and then whoever's coming into the property is your buyer. So the transaction has already exited and concluded at the beginning. That's, that's, phenom that's phenomenal. So now talk a little bit about your deal flow. How do you get people to come and say, hey, Whitney, I want you to come invest and buy my property or take it off my hands? Well, the best thing that I do is I'm really mouthy on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> I'm on Facebook all day, every day saying, I buy houses, I buy houses, I buy houses. But I do it and I tell stories. And mm -hmm. the thing is, when you tell a story, more than likely somebody else could see themselves in that story. Yes. And when you say, I helped this person, then they say in their head, they go, she can help can me. Help me, yeah. And I don't have to be salesy. I don't mm -hmm. have to, you know, be a hardcore closer. I don't have to do anything weird. I just have to say, I help this person. If you want me to help you, let me know. Hmm. Nice. I love that. I love that. And so does that mean you have to actually, well, I mean, from your personality, I can already tell you're a bubbly person. You know, you, you, you network a lot. You connect with a lot of people. And I'm sure through word of mouth, it spreads that, hey, Whitney does this. I remember listening to one of the podcasts you, you did where you talked about how, you know, as our parents, because we're all, I'm a millennial too, our parents are getting older, they're beginning to retire. And then you're actually buying some of your friends' inheritances because they are not showing the interest that their parents want them to, to show in the property they spend their lives to acquire. So talk a little bit about that, because that seems very interesting. And I, I don't know how it worked in the United States, but me growing up in Africa, I mean, it would be really difficult for me to hear that a friend of mine is coming to buy my parents' property when I'm there, you know. So talk a little bit about that, because I don't know if there's going to be some conflict between you and your friends that you're buying these properties of, or there's some hidden resentment somewhere. I don't think so, because... Okay. Most millennials, I'm 33, mm -hmm. most people my age have kids and a mortgage and a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. And I don't have 
that. Yeah. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a nine to five. Mm. And so I, and I also, I like hanging out, you know, with my parents or with their friends. Yeah. And I like talking about investing. I like talking about the future. I like talking about these things. And so most millennials my age, they're just not into that's wanting tough. to deal with toilets and tenants. They got their own problems with their kid clogging up their toilet. You know, mm. they just, they're just not in a place right now where that's interesting to them. And I yeah. think it's stupid because millennials love money. Yeah. We love spending money and we will spend through it faster than we can get it. Mm. And the way I buy houses, I buy houses like a lot of my friends buy purses. I actually spend less buying houses than they do on their purses sometimes. <laughs> And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I got fancy purses too, but I use that out of my monthly cash, cash flow, flow yeah. not from your income from your job. Yeah. I, I buy things that are going to make me money so that I get a free purse every year based yeah. on rent. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody paid their rent and I get yeah. a free purse. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. I love that. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about buying apartments versus buying a home because I understand the um, the lease option tactic. Transition that off into buying an apartment. Is it an apartment complex or is it like a condo unit in an apartment? What exactly? No, I buy apartment complexes. I've got oh, three wow. complexes. Um, wow. I've got one that's a triplex, which is actually considered residential. Anything up to four units is residential and then five units or more is commercial real estate. Okay. So I've got one triplex. I do have one five unit uh -huh. and then I have an 11 unit. It's okay. on one parcel. It's actually a four a six and a house. Okay. So I've got 19 units okay. that I actually have and they cash flow every month. They pay every month and they're appreciating every month mm -hmm. and I love them. Mm. But one thing that's really cool about them is, okay, so I've got all these house deals, right? Mm -hmm. And every time I buy a house, I make 10 or 15 or $20,000. I even made $40,000 one time for buying a house. Okay, hold on a second. I made 40 grand. Okay, hold on a second. Ex explain that because when you're buying a house, I'm thinking money has to go out, not money has to come in. So I put about $10 or $100 down on these houses and yeah. then I start making payments. Okay. So I don't actually have this lump sum that goes out. I don't okay. go to a bank. I don't get a mortgage. Uh -huh. I just start making payments okay. either to a bank or to the person. Okay. Um, so I really have no money out of pocket. And then as uh -huh. soon as I get somebody to move in, they give me 10 or 15 or $40,000 to move into this house. So I literally make money. Make money. For I, time. Okay. I see. I see. I see. So the the net net is almost zero at that initial point you get it. And then you get a lump sum when the person puts a big chunk to move into the house. So you and take then, it off the top. Okay. And then monthly I get money every month because mm -hmm. I can get it for what they owe the yeah. bank every month, mm -hmm. but I can rent it for more. So yeah. I get three or $500 a month per house. Okay. On top of my mortgage payment. Yeah. Okay. So I'm getting these houses and I, people are giving me 10 or 15, $20,000 to move in. Uh -huh. And instead of taking that 10 or 15 or $20,000 and going to Vegas or going to the South of France or, you know, whatever, I hold that money. Uh -huh. And then I look at my house and I say, well, I owe this much on that one. I owe that much on that one. And so I saved up hundred thousand dollars over the course of a year uh -huh. and paid off one of my big houses. Okay. So now I've got this big, awesome, amazing house, totally free and clear, no mortgage on it. Wow. 
all using other people's money Money. that I didn't have to give them back because they paid me to move into another house. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've got this one house free and clear and it was worth about 150. So I got a line of credit on it, a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. Uh I owned it free and clear. I pulled a hundred thousand dollars equity out of that house Uh and used that money to put down on these Uh apartment complexes. Okay. So I'm technically in these apartment complexes with no money down. Hmm. No money out of my pocket. I leveraged a house that I had against future properties that I wanted. Wanted, And the reason, you know, somebody asked me one day, why didn't I just take all the money that I was getting in the lease options and use it straight towards the purchase of those properties? Because when I was doing the houses, I didn't know I was going to get into apartments. So my plan was every time I got an option fee, I was going to chunk it towards paying off a house and paying Mm -hmm. off a house and paying off a house. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have 15 houses free and clear. Yeah. And then when I was ready to go shopping, I could just pull lines of credit and go buy whatever I wanted to. Yeah. Which is still kind of my plan. (laughs) No, I mean, I love the strategy because honestly, you can't do this type of investment by just the seat of your pants. You kind of have to have a plan going in saying that this is what I want to do. This is a tactic I'm going to follow. This, this is the blueprint. And as I go and things start to change around me, I'm going to adapt as it comes along and your system is still working great. And then you're still expanding. You're still growing. You're still doing more deals as, as it come along. I, I love, I love that. So now talk, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you helping your students, your consulting clients, your coaches doing the exact same thing you do because right now I'm living in Toronto. I don't know if it's going to be the same real estate um, process that will work in Toronto that works in the U.S., but I'm sure you have thousands of students across the U.S. So tell us a little bit about how you help teach them this system and how you show them that, you know what, this is possible. I don't know if it's internationally transferable, but at least in the U.S. I know I've lived in Boston, I've lived in New Jersey, I've lived in Virginia. This sounds like it could work in any of those places. I know it works anywhere in the States. Uh, Texas has some weird laws, but it it can work there. Mm. I have one student that has done an owner finance deal in Costa Rica, but that is the owner, that's the only international deal that I've done. I've Mm. gotten one student in Spain, um, but she did her investing back in the States. States. Okay. So, um, I know it works in Costa Rica. Uh, she did, I did have another girl in Spain that mm. didn't own her financing deal. Um, so it'll work internationally, but I'm much more comfortable helping people in the States. In the U.S., yeah, for sure. So, um, now that you're, you're, you're well-known, you're a popular speaker, um, let's talk a little about, you know, some of the problems you faced. So what were some of the most difficult and trying moments getting your business off the ground? Um, Some of the worst things that happened were early on and it was just my own personal fears coming out of the mouths of my sellers. And they would ask me things like, all right, this all sounds good. When's your husband going to get here so that we can finalize the paperwork? Wow. Or, you know, I was young. I was 27. I had one guy ask when my dad was going to get there. Wow. And if I was old enough to buy houses. Wow. Um, even this past, like six months ago, one of my mom's friends, who's a landlord and he and I talk about real estate investing all the time. He sent me a message that he was thinking about selling one of his houses. And I said, awesome. I'd love to buy it. And, you know, 
you can finance it to me and I'll make you payments and all this stuff. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to do that if your mom will co-sign with you on it. And I was like, dude, what? I've got over 50 properties. I don't need my mama to co-sign mm. with me and I don't mm. want your flipping house. Mm. That's true. That's so that was, that was a lot of the things that I got pretty bad in the beginning. Mm. Nobody really had a problem with me not putting any money down. Nobody mm -hmm. had a problem with me doing creative stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a broker in Tennessee. I'm a real estate broker. And so um, my competition had some trouble getting a grasp on how I buy houses and how I market and all these kinds of things. But after the commission told them that I was doing everything legally, mm. they had to back off. Wow. So the agents had a tr had trouble with me, but um, otherwise it was just some, you know, minor hiccups mm -hmm. and we rocked and rolled through it. Yeah. Made it happen. Yeah. I, I, I love that you just mentioned here that I love so much is that, you're in a codified system like a broker has to have like a certificate certifying oh you've taken the exams you're a broker blah 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 so everybody thinks that once you have that certificate or you've gone through that process you have to follow the straight path but you apply creativity all through the the process and all through the system to get what you want out of it i do but most agents have a hard time uh you know, splitting their brain from mm. being an agent and being an investor. Mm. And so I found that if you come to me with a license and you're already an investor, mm -hmm. I can help you be more successful. Okay. But if you come to me with a license and you're wanting to transition into investing, I can't break all of your bad habits and I'm okay. not willing to work with those women. Okay. The women that I work with, with a license, if they've already been investing before they get to me, mm -hmm. I will be glad to help them. Yeah. But if they're wanting to transition from regular agent to investing, I need them to do investing before I can help them. Okay. Okay. Because there's a huge mental block. That it's a huge they, mental block. There's they have to work on themselves. Roadblocks and it's, it's a disaster. The women that I help without a license, they'll make $40,000 in 12 weeks. And the women wow. with licenses are sitting there going, how did you do that? I have to do this, 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 and this. And I said, they don't have to do that. They don't have a license. Yeah. They blast through deals and money and situations so much faster than yeah. the women I help with license. Yeah. I, I know I'm just thinking to myself that that is probably how every other industry works. Because if you look at the finance industry, for example, Warren Buffett is one of the richest investors, and yet he doesn't have a... Yes, he went to business school, but he doesn't have a CFA, he doesn't have a CPA or whatever. And yet you have people with CFA, CPAs, and all the alphabets to their names, and they can't, they can't get 100K a year. They're broke. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. I say this all the time. The best agents I know are also investors, mm -hmm. but the best investors I know don't have a license. Mm. My mama doesn't have a license and she makes way more money in yeah. real estate investing than the agents I know with licenses oh. or that are also investors. Investors. Yeah. Very Sometimes cool. the school of hard knocks is the best lesson. It's the best, best teacher. I absolutely you can't agree get with that. certified in that. <laughs> you just have to do it and take the class and get your grade. Great. So as we start to wind out the show, Whitney, I just want to ask you a couple rounding up questions. So the first question is going to be, um, looking back on your career thus far, knowing what you know now, is there anything you think you would have done differently? 
Um, I would have, in the beginning, I tried to force a deal. I tried okay. to talk people into going with me. And then once I realized that they weren't going to work uh -huh. and they were going to be a bigger headache for me, uh. I should have learned sooner to leave those. And that way I opened up more opportunity for the people who did want me to okay. work with me. Okay. Um, I also spent a lot of time, like a lot of people, I, I tried to use my money mm. to get deals and I ran out of money on my second deal. So I had to get creative. So I would have been creative from the very beginning. Beginning, yeah. I also would have started sooner. Okay. I started in my twenties, but I should have started in my early twenties instead of my late twenties. Mm. Um, I, you know, during the recession, I was like everybody else and I was scared to invest and didn't know what to do. Yeah. But that would have been a good time to say, you know, the rich get richer when the rest of us are scared. Yes. So I should have been, I should have started investing in 09. I started flipping houses with my parents in 09, but I didn't really start investing myself for five more years mm. until 2014. So if I would have started both of those in 09, instead of just, you know, trying to hang on. Yeah. I'd be doing a hundred K a month already. Yeah. But, but you're well on your way. And I think it's just, it comes down to the same thing you just said, which is basically whatever system you go through gives you mental blocks that it will take time to break before. Like it took you five, you were flipping out. You knew your mom is an investor in real estate. You grew up around it. So you knew that was there, but you started in 09 in the recession. It didn't take you up until five years later for you to completely blast through the block. And then now you can do 50 apartments and you're doing more, you're scaling, you're teaching more people. And I'm sure you're probably thinking of expanding outside of East Tennessee, or do you just want to remain in Tennessee? I do. I, I want to keep my properties and it's mostly a tax advantage, okay. Okay. <laughs> mostly a tax play. Okay. Uh, it's not really anything to do with the market or anything like that. It's okay. just a personal preference. If I was going to start buying anywhere else, it would be in Florida okay. around Tampa. Okay. And that's just because I like it here and I'm ready to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Two more years, right? <laughs> yep. Great. I love that. And um, so my last question is for people watching this podcast, thinking about, oh man, that sounds awesome. You know, she came out of a job. You know, it's, it's about four years. Yes. Okay. So maybe if I give myself another four or five years, I could, if I'm 50% close to where Whitney is, I'll be happy with that. Now, what would you say to someone that's still on the fence in their office job or doing something that they don't really like what they're doing because they need to pay bills and they're thinking, man, I, I wish I had the balls. I wish I had the courage to follow Whitney and do what she's doing. What, what would you advise that person to do? I would say to keep going. Keep going towards your dreams because you never know what you're going to accomplish if you don't get started and you don't keep mm. going at it. If you quit, you're never going to make it. Um, but one thing that I really held on to in the beginning was um, Matthew seventeen twenty that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, mm -hmm. you can move the mountains. Mountains, yeah. And I actually used to wear a necklace that had mustard seeds in it because they're so tiny, and it yeah. only takes a little bit of faith to move that needle. Mm -hmm. uh, now I lean on Proverbs thirty one sixteen that says she goes to inspect the field and she buys it. Oh, With her wow. earnings, she plants a vineyard. Nice. So a Proverbs 31 woman is a real estate investor yeah. and she uses that money that she makes to create generational wealth for her kids and so on and so on. So you have to find something that's going to click in your head and that mm -hmm. has to be 
what you say to yourself 18,000 different times a day mm. when things are good and when things are bad. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I've really started paying attention to is being grateful for all the opportunities that come my way yeah. and to say, you know, thank you that that person told me no. Thank yeah. you that this deal didn't work out. Thank mm -hmm. you that that phone call was a complete waste of time because mm -hmm. now I've learned what to expect in the beginning next time and I won't get my hopes up for this, that, and the other. Or, yeah. you know, thank you for this great big payday I'm going to get, but also thank you for the lessons that I learned and that I'm able to pass on to other people. Mm. Uh, um, and I also have started celebrating even my little mini wins. Okay. So, you know, you sell a house, you make 20 grand and you're like really excited. Woohoo. But now we got to do it again and again yeah. and again. So now I've really started celebrating. I've got five people interested in this house. Woohoo. My marketing is working. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, five appointments to talk to women today yeah. to get them started. This is going to improve five different families lives and they're going to be able to help 10 people a year. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my reach is getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger yeah. all because I really want to help people and let them know that they can do this, whether you have money or not. Mm. Sometimes it's better that you've only got a hundred mm. grand instead of a million mm -hmm. to get started. Yeah. I love that. So I love that. That's that's what I'm focusing on now. Great. I love that. So where can people find you, Whitney, if they want to contact you, learn more about you, possibly take a course from you, uh, join your I, coaching program or something? I am really mouthy on Facebook. If you go to WhitneyNicely.com slash group, mm -hmm. that'll send you straight into my Facebook group. And we have a blast in there. It is for ladies only though. So I'm sorry. Oh, I guess I could, slide, I could slide you through um, today if you wanted to, but it's for ladies only. Okay. Okay. All right. Then. I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to send my sister to come in. Okay. So, so she, she needs to get her ass in gear. She wants to start investing in Pittsburgh, but she hasn't started yet. So most I'm women gonna, talk about investing, yeah. never doing it. And yeah. I am a huge proponent of getting that action mm. started. Great. Great. So we've got the Facebook group. You're found on LinkedIn with the same name, Whitney nicely. Your website is WhitneyNicely.com. You can also find Whitney on Whitney buys houses. Correct. No, I um, no, no, no. actually go to YouTube. I just okay. passed 1,400 subscribers, Whitney Nicely. So actually, if you just type it into Google, Yahoo, or Bing, whatever, there's a bunch of shit that'll come up okay. <laughs> about Whitney Nicely. Okay. Um, no, there was actually something. Um, was, oh, my gosh. It was a link. Anyway, I'll look for it. It was one of your links. Buy houses or get houses or something. Yeah, there's Whitney Buys landed. Houses. It's on Facebook, the, Whitney Buys Houses. Landed. But the only thing I put up there are my houses. If you want okay. to follow me and find out about coaching, okay. follow Whitney Nicely. Okay, Whitney Nicely. All right, so I'll make that note in the show notes. So, Whitney, thanks a lot for coming to spend the hour. I know we had a bit of technical difficulty, but uh, we came through. I've done my first video podcast for the year in my PJs, but that's okay. <laughs> Yay! So um, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming to spend the, the one hour with us and teaching us about real estate investing, especially for women out there that need to get on their investing and cash flow game because I know it's, it's difficult for everyone, but a lot of women have kind of double responsibilities in the home. So it's, it's great if they can actually start getting invested in the business of investing in real estate so that they can cash flow themselves and you know get some stress off them and start to live a richer, more fulfilled and successful life. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks with me. So Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.